Welcome to another episode of the Misadventures of an Inspired Woman. Today's guest is Ronell Swatboy. Ronell considers herself a people con- connector. This neo-generalist has over the last 16 years been working on various brands in the nonprofit, impact investment, as well as technology B2B sectors. She's deeply passionate about working with technology businesses focused on developing tech that aims to solve, simplify, and streamline operations. She finds joy in co-creating and collaborating with like-minded professionals, and her core goal is to deepen her understanding of innovative technologies that advance the growth of people, brands, and businesses across the globe, from consumer to enterprise. Ronell is particularly fascinated by design thinking, lean startup methodologies, and how new ways of work can influence communication strategies. She's been a volunteer in the TEDx community in South Africa since 2013 and has recently been selected as the first female curator of TEDx Cape Town, which was established in 2011. She's one of three directors of the nonprofit Theta Foundation, whose mission is to support the development of the communication skills of youth progressing through school, tertiary education, and job seeking. Welcome, Ronell. Thank you. (laughs) For the past few months, I've always referred to you in my head if I read something as Koigi. Yes. Right? Um, And yes, guys, I did say South Africa. We have gone international this (laughs) season. (laughs) So I met Ronell. This is so random. (laughs) So during the shutdown pandemic quarantine time, um, Amanda Seals, one of our favorite comedians and all around creative person, she had her smart, funny and black show virtually. And a part of how she did that was in the beginning, she had this speed networking thing where you would agree to speed network. And basically people would pop in with you every five minutes. And Ronell popped in and I was like, where are you? And she was like, South Africa. And I was like, what? (laughs) I remember it was like crazy hours my time. I think it was 3 a.m. or 2 a.m. But I voted for that show because I've always wanted to travel to Los Angeles to see her show live. And then with lockdown, she has this like very inexpensive online show. And it was the best. I loved it. Yeah, it was really great. And I really, I really appreciated chatting with you. Um, I was like, she's up at three in the morning. And then we followed each other on Instagram. And then I saw all the dope stuff that she was doing. So like I told you, this season we're focused on dope Black women doing dope Black women things. And you were like, how? And I'm like, girl. <laughs> like you never think of how others perceive your content or what you're doing and what you're saying about yourself. So when you were like, yeah, you're one of them doing dope Black things. I was like, what? <laughs> you're the first female curator for TEDx Cape Town yes so we've had two curators before me and I've been part of the team for about five years now but part of the community since 2013 and yeah so it's I never thought I would be the first female for anything um and I, I actually am quite like uh, what's the word happy honored super honored because uh, I work with amazing professionals um we all have our own talents and yeah, I just happened to be the first female curator for Telescope Time, a community that I love so dearly. So tell us, how 
how did you kind of get to where you're at now? You are a professional. You work a lot with like media and tech and PR. Like you, you've had, you've worn a lot of different hats throughout mm-hmm. the years. It sounds, it sounds like, can you yeah. kind of tell us how did you like growing up? Did you think this was the type of career you would have? And so growing up, whenever someone asked me, what do I want to be one day? I actually said I wanted to be a photographer. And when they asked me why, uh, I think at a young age, I really knew that I wanted to meet people and travel because I I always assumed that photographers had that luxury of doing what they love, but from anywhere in the world. Um, And funnily enough, my pen for 2021 has got a little camera on it. Love Um, it. um, And yeah, so I went to university uh, after I took a gap year after high school, but I loved geography in high school and I was completely set on being an oceanographer. And simply explain an oceanographer is just someone that studies the science. It's like the science of the oceans and how it impacts climate. Um, And then I traveled. I took a gap year after 12 years of high school, well, schooling. And I came back and I just said to my parents, "Um, I'm going to change my degree because I'd already been accepted uh, for for oceanography. And my dad, just his face dropped because he was like, scientists earn money. Communications people struggle. (laughs) So my mom, knowing her child very well, uh, she was totally understood that I wanted to go into the communication space. And my degree was all about, I did drama, I did film, and I did media communications. And then I also did a little bit of sociology. And um, I really, really enjoyed the drama aspect of it because it allowed me to learn about just um, like the nuances, and so, you know, when it comes to just like people and acting and stage. And, and yeah, I just feel that drama and Playing as an adult is important as well. So that's part of the reason I took that course. But after university, um, well, while I was studying, I joined the university radio station. Because during your media studies, you learn about different forms of media and how people consume media. And there was something about radio that I really enjoyed. So I basically decided to join the community radio station based at the university so that I could put my theory into practice. I'm, I'm, I'm one of those people that I learn better when I do. That was the best experience. But going into the community radio station, I knew two things, that I did not want to be a DJ, like just someone mixing and mu- with music and having a music show. And I did not want to just like, uh, what's the word now? Like just be there and kind of wing it. I wanted a real sort of purpose in why I'm there. So I was a newsreader where you had to put your own bulletins together, but allowed me to put my theory into practice. Uh, for about two years before I went to work, I happened to also then do a talk show with young people, which was awesome. Um, and that's really where my journey kind of started. Wait, what was um, the name of the talk show? It was called the Diggs Youth Alive Show. And the term Diggs, I'm not sure if it's like this in the States, but when, you start, when you're at, uni- at, at university, then you stay like in a in a, an apartment or like a, a communal space, mm-hmm. and we, we call it digs. Okay. Um, so it was kind of like just I remember the name was brainstormed with those of us in the project because the, the actual project was run by a nonprofit organization, which eventually became my first employee employer. Anyway, um, and digs youth alive really was just you know we are digging deeper into our youth issues. Um, and yeah, youth alive, just meaning, you know, young people being alive and with it. And that was fantastic because I absolutely loved just unpacking social issues that were relevant to me as a young person at the time. 
I got to meet young people from other universities uh, because the project was catered for university students and uh, high school students. And yeah, that's, it's just, it's just packaged it nicely. I love meeting people. I love talking about relevant issues. And then I got to learn a technical skill because uh, that was my first training ground, like learning how to sit behind a radio station desk, learning how to produce because on radio, you can't just wing it. You kind of have to have a sense of where you're going with the story. And you've got to learn how to, ch- uh, for enabling people to also trust you because you are now the, the holding space for them, pretty much like you're doing for me, you know, mm-hmm. you're holding space for the conversation. So that's, that's where my journey started in the communication space. And has it been, and this is sort of like an obvious question, has it been a straight path? Because you started out with communications and attacking social issues that are important to you. And it's kind of like what you're doing today, particularly, I guess, with the TEDx thing and some of the other things that you're doing, has that been a straight path or has there been moments where you questioned or where things just didn't work out? So it's never been, no, life is never a straight path. <laughs> and um, the way I can, the best way I can describe my career is that I listen to the science around me because like I mentioned to you, I had a whole other degree in mind. And as time went on, conversations that I had with people in the year before I studied, it just felt right. Um, And then I did my research and I changed my degree. So now you're in the degree and then you put it into practice. And when I was part of this radio station, the the radio station manager came to me and said, uh, back then we still used to get faxes. And she says, she said, we got this fax from a nonprofit called Workers World Media Productions. And I think that's perfect for you. They're looking for, for young people that are interested in being trained as talk show hosts. I was like, yes, that's fantastic. So I finished my degree. And during the holidays, I'm at this program, like traveling by train, going into these workshops. Um, and it was amazing. But by the end of the workshops, the director comes to me and says, you're finishing your degree, right? What are you doing next year? And I was like, honestly speaking, I don't know. But what I do know is that I don't want to go into commercial media because all my friends were doing news reading positions and commercial radio stations and they wanted to be DJs and MCs and speaker like uh, presenters. And I was like, the only thing I don't know is that I don't want to be commercial. And why I want to go into com- because I had contacts that were already in the commu- commercial space and it's hard work. Like not that other, the other aspect of it is not hard, but it's just, you don't really have time for yourself. You're pushing hard to get out like current news affairs. You are on the road, sleepless nights. And I just didn't see myself being in a newsroom or at a magazine or at a newspaper, um, kind of grinding to put content out all the time for the public. I really wanted to learn how to be part of the conversation. And I felt that the community radio space coming from you know, my university years where I met amazing people that I interviewed. I was like, I want to be in community radio. So the project was all about teaching me how to produce and how to engage with nonprofit leaders, community leaders, young people, my teachers or well, other people's teachers. <laughs> so uh, community media was just the space that kind of spoke to me and it allowed me to be authentic because I also found that some people go into the commercial media space and then they put on this hat And all of a sudden they lose themselves because now it's like red carpet and it's like this conference. And all of a sudden, if you are a CNBC Africa reporter, you know, people assume a certain thing about you. 
but that was just my personal sort of perspective. I really wanted to be in a space where I could be more myself. And community media spoke to me in that sense. Nice, nice. So you say you don't want to do commercial. And then what does, what happens at that point? So the director offers me an internship and I'm excited. I go home to my folks. My dad's like, how much are you getting paid? I was like, um, I think they're only giving me a stipend, like to travel to the to where we're actually doing the training. And he's like, you just finished, you have a degree. What are you doing getting? I remember it was like 30 Rand, which is roughly uh, probably not even no, it's about three dollars in, in current um exchange rate. My father was like, Really? Is this what I paid for university for you to go and get a stipend? And I said to my dad, Trust me, this is where I need to be. Just give me three months. And I had such an amazing time. And within three months, the project coordinator of that project decided to, after the pilot project was nearing its end, the the pilot project was six months, she decided to go and um, leave the project to expand her, uh, I remember she was studying film directing, because the project was all about nurturing uh, young people's radio skills, our print media skills, and our video skills. But she left the project. And then the director then offered me the permanent position because he said, you know, as a participant, I got to know that I got to know the teachers that were involved in the project, the radio stations, because we worked with about eight community radio stations and high schools in each community surrounding those stations. And he just felt that he could rather train me uh, to become a project manager as opposed to bringing in someone new that didn't know the project. So you see, it just all kind of flowed like paying attention to what I felt was important to me, I then got seen and um, this director, literally he sent me on fundraising courses, like understanding the nonprofit sector, understanding how to just kind of report to donors that were funding our project. So I, I was exposed not only to technical training, but also just kind of like management training, which was fantastic. And they paid for it. It was free. And mm-hmm. I said to my dad, you see, now I'm earning a paycheck. Um, and I was quite lucky because the nonprofit organization, people always assume, yeah, you're not going to get a lot of money. But I was working for a quite a well-funded nonprofit. I even had medical aid. I even had, what was it, a provident fund. So for about seven years of my life in the nonprofit sector, um, yeah, it, it was fantastic, actually. It was a good training ground for the next step in my career. Mm-hmm. What, what you, you sound so self-assured when you made that statement to your dad, like, trust me, this is going to work out. Give, like, give me three months. Like, where did that self-assurance come from? Oh, my mom. Um, so my mom's a, a trained teacher. She taught high school students for about 20 years of her life. And as a humanities person, she's also, uh, she studied linguistics. So she's really good with dealing with people, very diplomatic. And growing up uh, as the oldest child, she really nurtured that sense of confidence. Um, so through my mom, also, you know, when you're like in school and you have to prepare orals and stuff like that, and you have to do research, she's that parent that would kind of help you. And, and if to any parent listening, at the end of the day, if you help your child nurture that confidence to speak in front of a classroom, your peers, it really helps with uh, having a better sense of self. So through my mom nurturing me, I mean, when I changed my degree, she, she said to me, what's the degree about? Oh, People, communications, yep, that sounds like you, go for it. Whereas my dad was more worried about like, uh, which is not a bad thing to worry about, mm-hmm. but she knew, she knew me well enough to support me. And having her as my biggest support till today, 
that also gave me the confidence to just push hard. Awesome. So had there been a time as you're like, so you have these great seven years, um, you found your footing, you found your path, you're blossoming, you're growing. Have you ever hit a point where you're like, what's happening? What am I doing next? I literally have like, when, when I feel change coming. So, so let me share with you what happened as to how I got into PR. And then that would kind of give you a good understanding of how my brain works when it comes uh-huh. to my career. So I'm in the nonprofit sector. I'm like getting promoted. I'm having fun. But after it was about after six years of running this youth project, meeting amazing people, I felt that I was becoming stagnant. Like now I'm like mastering the art of project managing this community project. And I just, when I start getting stuck, then I don't deliver. And when I get bored, I I start kind of, what's the word? You know, just kind of like, okay, rolling out of bed, going to work. And the minute that happens, then I know that I've got to do something. I either have to study something new, I have to get a new hobby. And someone walked into my office and she's someone that was part of the project with me. We were the part of the pilot project. She walks into my office, her name is Penny, and she says, Ronelle, I just came from the Cape Peninsula University of Technology and I signed up for this PR course. And I think it's so you. I'm like, what's PR? I was like, (laughs) Google. Okay. (laughs) Public relations and public relations. hmm, This is interesting. You get to work with media. You also, there's an element of like events planning and events management. Uh, you, you also get to work with people. But what I really like is that you learn how to start understanding messaging of brands, uh, which whoever's your client. Next thing you know, I'm like, okay, you know what I can. So I had certain skills that I had acquired during mm-hmm. my six years of working in the nonprofit sector. And then I applied. No, I've got no, I had no PR degree at that time, no PR course under my belt. And I applied for a PR position confidently. I was like, you know what? All I don't have is the degree, but I can. So I look at the job spec and I'm like, I've got this. I can do this. I can do this. Okay. Let me just go. Into, I go into this interview so confident, but I didn't get it. And when they called me and I asked them, why didn't I get it? And they were like, they're looking for someone that actually has a PR experience and background. And I was like, but then why did you interview me? You knew that I didn't have that. So they were like, well, your submission was so dynamic. We just wanted to meet you. And I was like, <laughs> okay. So if this is going to be a roadblock, maybe I should just go and get at least a diploma. And that's what I did. So after someone had walked into my office and introduced me to PR, my whole PR journey started. So I go, I, I did a short course in public relations so that I could at least understand the foundation of it. And I also did a short course in uh, marketing. And that's also where I met one of my best friends. Uh, so it, it just worked out. So for, yeah, 12 months, that was extra studying. And I was freelancing at the time because now I technically left my position, mm-hmm. but I obviously still had to earn money and I started freelancing. And you know, the minute I started freelancing, people that knew me and knew my skills were calling me and saying, here's a project that you can work on. I, uh, I want to share this. I worked for an Italian woman that was an expat that came to South Africa. She was married to a South African man. And I got to work with this dynamic woman that was running a community newspaper. And again, working with um, workers from other African countries that design fabrics here in South Africa. So I got Mm -hmm. to get that exposure. I worked with another organization that was funding six other youth projects. And I got to learn how to do website administration. 
and basic photography eventually. Uh, a little bit of coding as well. All of this just because I paid attention to that itch mm-hmm. and someone introducing me to something new. And then my PR journey started after that. Uh, so yeah, I, my first job was with a San Francisco-based PR agency. And what attracted me to apply for that assistant position was the fact that it was a technology-focused PR agency. And that's where my love for technology just kind of like spiraled after that. I love it. I love how, I like how you said you started feeling stuck, like stagnant. And I think that's, that's one of the things when I talk about dope black women doing dope black women things is when you realize that you've sort of hit a plateau in a specific position or in a specific skill set or whatever. And you're like, okay, what's next? How can I stretch myself? How can I try something different? And just hearing you talk and hearing the excitement in your voice, it just feels like you've just been on an adventure going from the one thing to the next to the next that has just sort of like opened up your world to new possibilities and opportunities. Exactly that. It's been an adventure. It's actually the one part of my life where I feel that I'm the most sort of in control, but also I am quite agile and flexible. So that when the tide changes, like it did during the pandemic, um, you, you need to kind of just tap into your strength. And I think that's what saves me every time is that when I feel the itch, um, I, I really don't like complaining about work. So the minute I start feeling myself getting to that point, I'm like, okay, got to do something. And I'm fortunate to be surrounded by parents and a brother and cousins that are very hardworking, very committed. And I think seeing my parents' work ethic as well has influenced and shaped that. My mom, oh gosh, if I had to tell you about how many times my mom has evolved her career. I mean, yeah. she's at, at 66. Oh, she reminds me. I keep on saying 65. She's 66. She's working in an advertising agency as a proofreader and translator. And if I had to tell you all the positions that she's had before that, you would understand my drive for evolving uh, and learning. So, I mean, you know how people say they are a student of life? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's what I consider myself to be as a student of life. And I always encourage any student that I mentor to Stay ahead of the curve. And when I, what I mean by that is pay attention to what's happening in your industry. L- look now with the pandemic when everything went online. I started working in the technology space in 2010, just mm-hmm. after the World Cup in South Africa. I do remember getting that phone call and I was literally freelancing at a fan park for one of the World Cup sort of fan parks. And I get this call that I got the job. And I was the only person that did not have a PR degree. I had a diploma. Mm. But got the job because I showed commitment and passion. And I had the experience that was adding value to that role. So wherever you can, you just have to, or at least I I think I do too much sometimes. But sometimes it's a good thing. Because Mm. now my digital skills, my tech savviness just evolved and during the pandemic, oh gosh, a whole nother kind of set of skills have been added to my portfolio. So tell us, tell us what, what, what shifts did the pandemic um, have, create for you in terms of work and life and, and all of that? So the first thing that 
I think the pandemic taught me and has still been teaching me because it's a constant learning curve is how do I deal with confinement? Because mm. it's, literally it's that, right? So you sp- you speaking to someone that's an ambivert. So I love solitude and I can spend hours with myself, but I'm also an extrovert and that's where I get my energy from is from people. So coming from, I was traveling for about a couple of weeks in Portugal and I come back and I had to go into self-quarantine. And, I, and then, so I've been in lockdown longer than people here because I had an extra about 10 or 12 days. But for the first six weeks, I was the worst version of myself. Uh, it's like I didn't realize the mental impact of lockdown. Uh, client work was declining because people were too scared to spend budget. Uh, so I work for myself. I consider myself a digital nomad where I do PR and marketing and social media support for tech startups. So some of the startups, even though they had money, um, you know what they were canceling contracts and it really kind of impacted me in that sense like how do I now ensure that I still get an income mm-hmm. and fortunately with my TEDx Cape Town volunteer work uh, we went through this journey as a team of how do we now host online events because we were busy planning a major event for 2019 Sorry, for 2020. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know why I'm still in 2019. What year is it? We don't even know. Yeah. <laughs> so, the, so my volunteer work and being part of a team that had to go back to the drawing board helped me uh, really unpack what am I going to do with my life during the mm-hmm. pandemic. So virtual events, I now do ev- virtual event support. I, I've learned so much about so many uh, tools And a lot of companies and organizations have been forced to take their events online. And it's not just about putting on a Zoom call. Like I've been part of sessions where I'm running, there's 100 to 150 participants having to manage breakout rooms. uh, And it has to be so sleek so that people can focus on the content that they're trying to share with each other as opposed to technical glitches. So my radio training because a lot of people, you hear the radios, you hear the audio, the audio side of it, but you don't know really what went into the production of that radio show. And what had happened is that my producer training from 16 years ago came into play. I now could access my project management skills, my research skills, uh, my learning skills, and my, my constant kind of push to learn new things. And I just kind of reshaped it into, okay, technical, but still tech, but still people, and it's still conversations. So if I, if I had to share with you the types of workshops and the people that I've met, but I'll tell you this one thing. Mm-hmm. I did tech, tech support. I'm sitting in this room in Cape Town, South Africa. It was a global conference. And one of the days I had to do a conference room and we were broadcasting live into a coffee shop in Uganda and the moderator was sitting in the UK. So now just, just visualize that. I'm sitting here on a Zoom call and we've got t- technical students from a local university that have set up the video cameras, live streaming into a round table of coffee farmers in Uganda and the moderator sitting in the UK. Wow. So the, the thing that really helps me evolve is the fact that I look for three things. As long as I'm working with people, as long as there's some sort of communication skills involved and technology, then I'm, I'm like a happy, what is the saying? Happy as a clam. <laughs> <laughs> so tell us, how did you get involved with the volunteer work with TEDx? 
And how has that evolved now to you being the first woman? <laughs> so that's also another interesting story. So while I was uh, very new to the P- technology PR sector, mm-hmm. I was at this event and uh, it's actually quite a well-known tech entrepreneur. He's now actually based in New York called Vinny Lingham. And I was listening to this, his passion. And as I'm sitting there, there was a bit of a coffee break. And this gentleman uh, comes up to me and we start talking and somehow into the conversation, he was like, so do you do social media? I was like, yeah, that's like part of what I do at the PR agency. We learn about how to support uh, social media strategies and stuff like that. And he's like, you know what? I am a volunteer on TEDx Table Mountain. Uh, So for people that don't know, uh, but the TEDx organizations is thousands and thousands across the world. And my first introduction to TEDx in South Africa was through TEDx Table Mountain. And they were looking for a social media person. And I'm sorry, and was, Table Mountain, like a specific town, city, location? So Table Mountain is the, I think, or the eighth wonder of the world. So literally okay. it's like our mountain here in Cape Town, very iconic. Mm-hmm. And when you get a TEDx license, you can, um, it, it has to be geographical or topical. Mm-hmm. Um, so TEDx Table Mountain is, is actually a license that's held by someone specific. And it's an event and that's what it's called. Um, significantly because it, it always takes place in Cape Town close to the mountain as well okay. uh, in terms of venue. Mm-hmm. And then TEDx, TEDx Cape Town is city-based. So you'll get TEDx's that are named by city or university. So it's very, like I say, location um, focused. Um, and then with TEDx Table Mountain, I, it was a very intimate event, 100 people. And I got to do Twitter on the day and like marketing support. So the cool thing was, is that the agency that I worked for, that was San Francisco-based, through, through Spark PR, I learned about TED and TEDx. So when they heard that I was approached by the gentleman from Teddy, they were like, go for it. We will even, you can have like time off work to work on that. So that was really awesome and encouraging. And that's where my journey started. Like once the TEDx bug bit me, gosh, so I was two years on TEDx Table Mountain, just running social media. And then I got introduced to TEDx Cape Town because I really wanted to be part of a larger team that arranges a larger event. And TEDx Table Mountain, our license allows us to organize up to a thousand seater event. And yeah, the rest is just like history. (laughs) (laughs) Here I am five years later. um, I've been part of the team for five years. Yeah. So. And now you are the curator for TEDx Cape Town. Yes, yeah, so I started in our the marketing sort of portfolio, mm-hmm. and then I evolved to become the we we, t- we renamed the marketing portfolio to the brand communications portfolio, and I still support that portfolio. So I've been the brand communications portfolio lead for about two and a half three years, and currently I co-lead that team. And I, my dream was always to build up that team to run like an agency and. I work with about 10 amazing people right now um, that's part of that team. TEDx Cape Town is about 30 people strong. Mm-hmm. And the curator uh, side of role is really just now I'm in a, let me just say my, the accountability and the responsibility just gets a little bit bigger. Um, I, I get held responsible for any decisions we make around speakers, 
and our events and curating the actual event, you know, the content and, and the topics and so on. Um, yeah, it's just a little bit more responsibility. Nice. Your your approach and your attitude, I'm pretty sure it's, it's probably a lot more responsibility, but your attitude is like, I love it. It's fine. It's great. <laughs> I get to work with people. So this is the, the other thing. You can't do it all by yourself. And because I enjoy working with people, I love, like, if you, if you look at any of my bios on social media or even LinkedIn, the word people connector comes up and that's what I call myself. And as someone that loves learning about people and behavior, uh, it's the perfect space. So I tap into other people's strengths. I know what my strengths are, so I'm not going to try and do it all. Mm -hmm. Um, And the more you spend time nurturing that, uh, people start trusting you. And, and, and that's what happened. You know, like I, you get like nominated and selected to be the curator. So for me, it was quite a natural next step mm-hmm. in terms of responsibility, but I work with some really dope people, <laughs> you know, we're such an amazing team. We pulled off a 10 part digital series and we started in June last year, our first virtual event. So in six months, we pulled off 10 virtual events and was a roller coaster. Uh, we call it the TEDx way where you just dig in, do what you got to do. Uh, yeah, but all, in doing that, I learned a new skill that could now also bring an in income for myself, the virtual event, technical support. I love it. I love it. Um, so as we look towards wrapping up, one thing that I, that I oftentimes think about um, is sort of like the narrative that people have of the continent. And I'm just so aware that there's so much that we don't know and we don't get the correct narrative where we're not on the continent. And so I'm wondering if you could speak a little bit to that as to what the narrative actually should be and what should we know, particularly about South Africa. That's such an interesting question uh, and such a deep one because (laughs) um, a couple of years ago, uh, someone that I studied with started a blog called Africa is Not a Country. Uh, and just that sentence alone, Africa is not a country, even for Africans, mm-hmm. it's something that we constantly need to remind ourselves of. So growing up, the narrative around Africa has always been like they say that uni, that UNICEF uh, advert with the kid with the fly on the face. And slowly but surely it started changing. But at the same time, the, I think, Oh gosh, now I'm, I'm embarrassed to say, I think it's 54, 56 countries. Ooh. Um, I'm going to get, I'm going to get grilled for that for not knowing exactly <laughs> how many countries are in Africa, but I think it's 54. It's a so, lot. Uh, yeah. And as a South African, you know, also growing up in a time where pe- people look to South Africa as sort of like a bit of an economic hub in Africa. And when I started working with tech startups that, you know, produce tech here, but for the continent as well. And I tra- I've traveled to Kenya. Oh, I love Nairobi. And I still want to travel to other parts of Africa. I've only been to Namibia and I've only been to Kenya. Uh, and then I realized, gosh, you know, you constantly have to understand that on this continent, the cultures, the languages, if you can just take a back seat and understand that South Africa is not the be all and end all of Africa, that's already a step in the right direction because there are some talented, amazing people that I've met where, where, as when I was growing up, people always made it seem as if, if you are from outside of South Africa, you're a little bit backwards. Um, 
which is totally a narrative that should change. So just because infrastructure might be lacking, just because uh, access to electricity might be lacking, that does not mean that the people that live in that town mm-hmm. are not professionals and highly skilled people in their own right. Mm-hmm. So I've been very fortunate and the technology sector has allowed me to meet some amazing, talented people working in all sectors from agriculture to financial technology, um, really designing product for Africa. And I, I just want to say that, you know, also when you hear I'm from South Africa, uh, the other thing is people shouldn't assume that I know enough about the continent as well. I don't. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's not a cluster. It's really mm-hmm. a diverse mix um, of Wakanda spirits. <laughs> mm-hmm. mm-hmm. I love it. And I just, I just think that um, by you doing all that you do, you're, you're contributing to a different narrative um, than the one that we usually get or what we grew up seeing. And that this adult black woman in South Africa do adult black woman things. <laughs> Connecting with dope black women across the globe. <laughs> I love it. I love it. So I'm going to switch to our lightning round now. It's just random questions. Don't think too hard about it. Just give me the first oh, answer that pops into your head. You ready? Cool. Go for it. Okay. So um, what is your favorite color? Green and black. So it's actually green. More green than black, but green. Okay. What is your favorite dessert? Ooh, so many, but a a good tiramisu. Mm. Okay. Celebrity crush. So I'm really into the South Korean actors at the moment. Really? Um, Yeah. And I'm a bit shy to admit this, but there's a few. (laughs) Not just one. And it's Kim Sohun, Yoon Bin, and Lee Min Ho. Like, Right now, the K dramas are keeping me on the edge of Okay, my so that's what I was going to ask you. Are these like the, the Korean soap opera? Yeah, Korean dramas are the bomb. I have a friend. Her mom is really into, into those. Your guilty pleasure. Ooh, that's a good one. Uh, so oh. many, but I, I, think, I think off the top of my head, it would be a good wine. Like... Just when, when I, I have this, I had this friend that introduced me to wine because I didn't really like it a couple of years ago. And then I started, my palate started changing. So good, good wine with, with some olives. Mm-hmm. Mm, that's my mm, guilty pleasure. That sounds yeah. so good. So good. So good. Who plays Ronel in the story of her life and what genre of thing is it? Is it a stage play? Is it a musical? Is it a drama? Is it a comedy? So when you say who plays, do you mean I've got to like pick an actor or is it just yeah. like me? Of course, I studied drama. Yes. I could I'll, I'll be playing my own part. <laughs> but I have to admit, if I could put Ava DuVernay in front of camera to play me, that'd be so awesome. Oh, my gosh. Uh, I just love Ava's work. Um, and the, the genre. So I'm an action film. So this is why I love K-dramas, because there's, there's action. There's always a good fighting scene. And I grew up with a brother that loved Jean-Claude Van Damme and Bloodsport. <laughs> so if there's, there's the, it's an action drama with like a little bit of romance. Okay. Um, that, that would be my genre because I love, I love a good action scene. I'm an Avengers Transformers fan. Um, so what yeah. is this action scene, though? Is it Ronell like, walking home from school? Like, what? How does this action scene figure into your life? <laughs> so, uh, so 
I love being surrounded by women that are strong. In mm-hmm. fact, I even have a tattoo on my arm that talks about like you strike a woman, you strike a rock. And the thing about a good action scene is when a woman can fight back. So for example, if something, something casual is happening and someone tries to steal your handbag and I'm just like, what you mean? And I can, <laughs> you know, just like kick butt with art and then just casually continue with my stroll. So like, I totally see you doing that. Adjusting your lipstick and then just keep it pushing. <laughs> that's the action. That's the action part. Like, don't mess with me. I've got hidden skills. I could just, you know, do something to you that might surprise you. I love it. I love <laughs> it. <laughs> Final question that I should have asked you probably at the top. How many languages do you speak? Oh, I only speak two very fluently. So Afrikaans is my home language and English is my business language. But uh, yeah, that's the, my two fluent languages. I studied a little bit of German so I can, you know, ich bin Renal, ich habe Deutsch an der Universität Kapstadt gelernt. So okay. I can kind of converse just a little bit in German and understand it. Uh, that's just Wait, what I, did you just say, though? No. Uh, I said, I'm Ronal, and I studied German uh, at the University of the West, at the, of Cape Town, University of Cape Town. That's nice. what I said. That's, that's like my favorite sentence because I can say it so fluently. And um, I can also at least greet and say hello and say my name in Tosa, which is one of the local languages in South Africa. Mm-hmm. And I'm also on a mission to... Uh, become more fluent in Kosa and converse and understand. Uh, and I'm learning Korean at the moment. Yeah, so okay. so we can touch base in 12 months and hopefully I can say more than just my name. I, I love the, the Tulsa. I can't do the, the thing. I love that. I think it's so beautiful. I love so, that you're learning that. So there's only three clicks in Kosa and the one is at the front of your mouth and the one with the X is at the back of the mouth. So it's almost like you're scolding someone like... You know, like, ah. so if you get that closer, right, then, then you, you're fine. I love that you're learning that. I love that you seem to be constantly on an adventure with all the things that you're doing and with learning new things. And I'm so grateful to have met you. Like, this pandemic has been a lot of things, but mm. if it didn't happen, like, I would not have met you um, and exactly to connect with you. In fact, 2020 was the one year where I have built so many meaningful relationships with people. It is actually like, I feel like I'm a kid in a candy store. It's the weirdest thing ever. So the hardest year of my adult life has turned into the one where I've grown the most, where I've met the most amazing people. Thank you so much. Um, I will be editing and posting in the coming weeks and so forth. Um, I hope to continue to connect with you. Thank you so, so much. Thank you for coming into my life and for allowing me to be part of this series. I'm really looking forward to connecting more and seeing what you're doing as well, Dope Black Woman. Cheers. Imagine that we have our first international guest on the podcast. Thank you for listening. I hope you were able to get something really great from her story and from her attitude. It's just so amazing. And again, she's another dope Black woman doing dope Black woman things. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast, like, share it, and leave me a review. Be sure to follow me on social media on Instagram at Dr. Keisha, that's D-R underscore K-E-I-S-H-A. And remember, my Skillshare class is still available to you free of charge. If you're interested in podcasting or in picking up any type of skill, go ahead and click on the link in my Instagram bio 
and it will give you a 14-day free membership to Skillshare. The Dope Black Woman t-shirts are also available on my website at www.drkeisha.nyc. That's www.drkeisha.nyc. Thanks again for being a part of our community of goal-getters. And remember to be intentional. 